Good morning. All right. I got to get set up here real quick. All right. Hey, first and foremost, I just want to let you know, I know that you guys had Pastor Dwayne out here last week, and you've been seeing a lot of different faces up here, but I guarantee you Sun City is not looking for a new pastor. Terry will be back, I promise you. It's an honor to be able to come back here and teach again. Um, And the last time I was out here, I remember I greeted everybody and I said, you know, for those of you that know me, and I never introduced who I was. So those of you that didn't know me, you still don't know me. And so I wanted to take a minute to uh, help introduce myself and get us reacquainted or acquainted for the first time. My name is Michael Morse, and uh, my beautiful wife is Luana. My family's over there. My daughter's in children's ministry. Um, She's enjoying herself over there, but I got my two boys over there. And um, we're blessed to be here because many years ago, Sun City was our home church. Pastor Terry Gray is our pastor. His preaching was used by the Lord to get my attention and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord all the way back in 2003. That's when they all were at the strip mall on Donovan. I served with many different ministries here. I've been in the puppet ministry, the children's ministry, the youth ministry. Um, My wife and I also served in the youth ministry together, in the college ministry, and as well as nursery and toddler. And so, yes, we understand. Pastor Terry Gray also officiated our wedding October 11th. 2008, and so we're getting ready to celebrate 14 years together on Tuesday. All three of our kids were dedicated right here on this stage. My oldest is Nico. He's 13. Next, we have Nathan. He's 11. And my daughter, Abby, is nine years old. So trust me when I say you guys are blessed to have Pastor Terry as your pastor. You're blessed to be at this church. You're blessed to be able to call this church home. And with it being October, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and since Terry's not here, and in fact, most of your pastors aren't here, I can say this. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Make sure that when they do get back that you are letting them know how much you appreciate their ministry, how much you appreciate how they've built into your life and what, they've, what they mean to you. Because sometimes pastoral ministry can be hard, it can be difficult, and it can be fraught with much sorrows. And uh, just getting that encouragement from the congregation is just so uplifting. And so I want you to pray for them, I want you to set reminders to encourage them throughout the rest of the year as well. Okay, Uh, Pastoral ministry, as I found out, because I used to tease Pastor Terry, I used to say... It's not that hard. You get six days off, and you get to go golfing every day, and then on Sunday, like, maybe an hour or two. Well, I found out that that's not the case. And I found that out because in 2014, my wife and I were sent out from this church to go and plant a church on the far east side of El Paso, Calvary Chapel Redeeming Grace. So we've been a church now for about eight and a half years, and I've been full-time at the church for the last four years. Soon, Lord willing... We will be in Horizon City. We're praying about a piece of of property that's been acquired by the place that we're renting from right now. They want to sell us this property. Um, We are stuck, though. 
I don't know if anybody here works in probate court, but if you're involved with probate court, maybe you can help that case get through probate. Because what happened is the owner of the property died without a will. So we're waiting to find out if they can even buy the property before they could sell it to us. And so I'm going to invite you guys to join with us in praying for that, that it would just get through probate court in miraculous time. Because from what I understand, probate court is like, that's where cases go to die. And so, but that brings me to the sermon that the Lord has put in my heart for you. How are you building? And so before I go any further, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 15. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us from it, Father God. That you would give us the the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to follow your word. Give us strength to allow it to have its perfect effect in our hearts and our lives that you desire for it to have, Father God. And may you receive all honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you buy a house or you go to buy a building, as I found out, it's not just for houses, but when you're also looking at like commercial buildings and whatnot, it comes with a stipulation when you're getting financed that you have to get a home inspection. You need a building inspection. Um, In order to build the building in the first place, you also have to go through a series of inspections at different times. And so it has to make sure that everything's built according to code. And there's a, one of my favorite shows to watch on TV is called Homes Home Inspection. Uh, It's headed up by a guy named Mike Holmes, a former home inspector who's turned into a reality TV star. And what he does, he goes and he inspects homes that people have bought and that they found out later that the home inspector was just like terrible or something at the job. And so he goes in and finds everything that they missed. And he doesn't just point out the mistakes. He doesn't just go, oh, you need to fix all this and give them a whole list. He says, we're here to make it right. And so he does all the work for them. Um, What he turns up, however... As I watch the show, it makes me leery of ever buying another property or a house ever again. But on the other side of it, it also arms me to know what to look for and what to have the home inspector to look for, um, building uh, code requirements and things like that. Now, the passage that we're in this morning, the usual explanation for it is that it's describing the building of the Christian life. And this is a valid application for this passage, but I think we miss the basic interpretation if that's all we look at it as. I believe that Paul is discussing the building of the local church, the temple of God. Yes, each individual believer is the temple of God, but so is the whole gathering of the local assembly as well as the temple of God. And I think that there's a reminder that we need to have sometimes Um, The building here, it's awesome, right? It's awesome as it is. Uh, We spent many years praying for a building, especially when we were in the tent for all those years, uh, fighting off such uncommon things that you have to fight off in church as wasps and spiders and heat and rain and all that stuff. But as we labored and, and, and we endured it to get the provision and whatnot, the building is not the church. It would be helpful to have a sign as you walk through the door. Then the sign would say, the church meets here. Because when the people are all gone, this is just a building. You all 
are the church. It's a church because you as the church meet here. So this section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning is written by Paul after spending the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians speaking about the difference of worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God. Worldly um, wisdom being the foolishness to God and the foolishness of God being wiser than all of the wisdom in the world. In this chapter, Paul's rebuking the church at Corinth because there was a report that he received of their sectarian ways and their divisive attitudes towards one another. He called it immature. He said they're worldly. He goes on to explain that they are all mere servants serving the role given to them by the Lord. And he said that as one who's an apostle, he says, I'm just an apostle. You may feel like you're just this person, but we're all the same because we're all mere servants of the Lord. Each one of us has our role, but none are responsible for the results. That's what he was talking about when he says, you know, um, I and Apollos, I'm just so glad I never baptized any of you because I, I was sent by the Lord for this. Apollos was sent for this. One plants, one waters. God gives the increase. It's not because Apollos was a better speaker than Paul. It's not because Paul was more eloquent than any, anybody else. And in the same in, in today, it's God who gives the increase. And so he mentions we're all responsible for our role. And then he goes in and he talks and he says, each one receives a reward according to their own labor. And so where we find ourselves this morning, Paul is opening up to give the church in Corinth and everyone who reads his letter, which includes us here this morning, to consider how are we building? Because Paul's point is that one day, God will judge our labors as related to the local assembly, as related to the local meeting of the church. Not our labors on how we painted the walls of the building, but how are we as living stones with each other. God is very concerned with how we build. And we need to bear in mind that the church does not belong to the pastor. The church does not belong to the congregation. The church belongs to Christ. And so I'm going to be reading from the CSB version of the Bible this morning. Uh, I've never shared that as I've come here to, talk, to teach, but I've watched everybody confused as they try to follow along with me um, because I know that Pastor Terry usually teaches out of the New King James. And I'm going to teach out of the CSB because it's known as the Christian Standard Bible or it's the Standard Bible for Christians. I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> so starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 10, it says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he's built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as we consider how are we building, the number one question to ask is what? is your foundation. What is your foundation? 
Again, Paul writes in verse 10, he says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. Each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling the church, he says, I've laid down a foundation. He's laid down the foundation. He says, and I've done it as a skilled master builder. Now, is Paul tooting his own horn here? Is he saying, I've put down the best foundation that you've ever seen, and it's because I know exactly what I'm doing? Well, the words that he used here is the Greek word sophos and architecton. And sophos means wise, and architecton is where we get the word architect. And so in our modern use of that word, though, it's not speaking of the one who imagines the vision for it and just draws the building. He's speaking more in a general sense as, as the general contractor, I've laid down the foundation. But how did he lay the foundation? Was it by his own skill and power? Do we all have to, like, know everything and, 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 and study and, and go through all these hoops to be able to do what God has called us to do? No, Paul says that he did it according to God's grace that was given to him. When I talk to people about what they're doing and how they're involved in church, most of the time they say, I'm not qualified, I'm not equipped, I'm not ready, I don't know, I can't. There are a lot of reasons why they don't. But I'm going to give you four chapters in your Bible that you need to read. And you need to understand your place in the church as the church. They're referred to as the two twelves and the two fours. First Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about how the body of Christ and how we're all individual members of that body and how we all work together as a body. Romans 12 speaks of the gifts that God has given according to the grace of God. Ephesians 4 talks about those whom he's put into the church to equip the church. And 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us how we're supposed to use those gifts. They're all speaking of gifting, and the gifting comes, guess what? Not by your own development, it's by God's grace and God's supply. And so, you might be called to teach the Bible, but you might not be called to teach the Bible as Terry Gray, or as a Warren Wearsby, or any of those other, so don't compare your ministries of teaching as to, oh, I got to teach like Pastor Terry, or oh, I got to teach like this person. You're called to teach how God has graced you and given you to teach. David Guzik, in his commentary, he rightly says this, It's an exalted thing to be a fellow worker with God. But God doesn't choose exalted people to do his work. It isn't anything in them that makes them worthy to be his worker. It's according to the grace of God. And so Paul says that there's been a foundation laid for the church. That foundation's been laid according to the grace of God. And now Paul says, and another will build on it. We need to see this because Paul said, I laid a foundation. He says, don't anybody walk on it. Everybody stay away. He says, there's going to be another that's going to come and build on it. Are we okay? Maybe, maybe some of us in here are ministry leaders. Maybe some of us are involved in ministries. Are we okay if somebody builds alongside us? We need to be. We need to be able to allow others to come alongside us and build. Otherwise, what you get in church are church cliques. And that is the number one destroyer of unity in a church. 
sure, that group is unified, but then they're separate from the rest of the church. And so we have to allow others to be able to come in and, and come alongside and build alongside us. And so Paul says another will build on it, but that statement comes with a warning, right? It's not just anybody can come and build and they can do whatever they want. And maybe we're building with, you know, steel uh, two by fours and whatnot. And they come along and they're building with wood and we're just going to have this mixed material and it's going to look all crazy. What does he say? He says, each one is to be careful how he builds on it. And he says, number one, number one, be careful of this. No one can lay another foundation. You cannot lay another foundation. You see, when you're building a a building, it, it requires a solid foundation. That's imperative. The structure has to have a solid foundation. Otherwise, it will be unsound. And it's not a matter of if it will collapse. It's a matter of when. And so only one foundation is required for a building. I've never seen a building that has two foundations. And so he's saying that there's already been a foundation laid. It's already been laid once. It does not need to be laid again. Don't lay a new one. And what is that foundation that he says has already been laid? The foundation that has to be built upon. The foundation that upon the one who builds it must be cautious and careful. That foundation laid plainly before us is labeled right here for us. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of building the church And to lay another foundation other than Jesus Christ means that you are building something other than the church. You're building your own kingdom. And the foundation that Paul built upon, it's not principles. It's not great morals. It's not just good teaching. It's a person. Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18 is when Jesus is speaking with Peter and he's with the disciples and he's in Caesarea Philippi and they're standing before that giant rock where all the religions came to to honor their different gods or whatever. And Jesus asked them that pointed question. He says, who do men say that I am? Oh, well, they say you're a great person, a great teacher, a moral guy, their best friend. They say that you're, you know, another prophet. You're like John the Baptist, maybe Elijah. And then what does he do? He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in verse 18, Jesus then says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, there's some people that got it wrong, okay? They're not going to build the church on Peter. One, he's a terrible foundation. And two, he's speaking about the confession He's confessing the person and work of Jesus. That's the foundation of the church. No other foundation can be laid for which Christ will build his church. It's not to be built upon coming together politically. We're not to be building the church based on assembling together on a moral crusade. We're not even supposed to be building the church coming in the name of any type of social justice. We're to come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 tells us the importance. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. 
And Paul wrote in Galatians 1.6 when the Galatian church, and you guys are going to go through this as I find out. Uh, so here's a little tidbit into Galatians for you. Paul says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him, Christ, who called, from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We need to keep the purity of the gospel of Christ as we build the church. And Paul says this. This is how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. He says, if we, he says, if I, Paul, or anybody who's with me, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached you, a curse be on him. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. That's how important the gospel is. Paul says, not even I can come and change it. So that's the foundation. What foundation are you using? That's what we need to ask ourselves. The second question we need to ask ourselves, what materials are you using? Look at verse 12. Paul says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. Paul used the phrase, he said, if anyone builds on it, and, that, and that's like we have an option of whether we're going to build or not. It indicates, though, that instead of you have a choice in the matter, the, the thing is you're expected to build. Many of us think that we can just come to church, sit comfortably, go home, and, and never have to get involved because church is messy, right? People are messy. If I just show up and I just hear the good word and then I go home and I, and I just live, then, then I'm good. But that's not how the church is expected to be. The church is expected to be involved. The church is expected to be working together. The church is expected to be building. And we're all expected to build on the foundation. Is there going to be some who don't build? Yeah. There's also going to be those who build on another foundation as well. My encouragement, my exhortation to you this morning, don't be the one who doesn't build and build on the right foundation. And take care what materials you're building with. The materials you choose will affect the quality of your work that is done. I'm sure we all remember the story of the three little pigs, right? The pigs all head out to build their own house. You know, the time to move out. It's, it's great. We get to move out. We're all going to be on our own. And each one has a plan for their house based upon their personality. If you remember, the first little pig, he's the laziest of the bunch. He's like, man, when do I get to get and sit on my chair and have my lemonade and I just want to relax? And he's like, what am I going to do? He's, Straw. I'll go get straw. That's the easiest thing to carry. It's not heavy. I can go get a bunch of straw and I can just bring it all here. So he does that. He puts his house up. It goes up super fast. And soon he's sitting down, sipping lemonade and enjoying his his shade. Then you're introduced to the second little pig. The second little pig said, well, I need something just a little bit more sturdy. But I still don't want to spend too much time on it. And so he goes and he gathers a bundle of sticks. Then he builds his house out of sticks. 
He carefully lays each stick to support one another, and he builds this very carefully crafted house. And soon, maybe a little bit more work than the first one, but only a little bit more, he's also enjoying some rest. And as they're enjoying their house, they both look out the window and they see their, their third brother, the, the crazy one, right? That guy's crazy. He loves work. He, he doesn't mind a hard day's work. His, his hands have that, that feel of hard work in them. And so he's there. He's working hard and he's working days. He's working weeks. He's, he's just there and he's in the hot sun. He's laying brick after brick after brick, slathering it in mortar, putting the next brick And after much time, finally, he's done. Now, many, as they come to this part of Scripture, they see the issue here with the building materials that Paul is talking about. And they'll they'll say, those are good works. And then those, the wood, hay, and stubble, those are bad works. And I think the point is more discussing not so much good versus bad works, but permanent versus impermanent. Or eternal versus temporal. The things that we build upon the foundation of Christ can be good things. But they won't have any eternal value. They may not have lasting value. And so we want to build upon the foundation with permanency. We want to build upon the foundation with eternal value. There's many things that you can do to waste time and energy on. That can seem like great things. I mean, getting together with the family. Those are great things, right? Football. We got football today, right? Am I mistaken on that? I think the, someone said something about the Cowboys might be playing today. Getting together with... Is it okay to watch a football game? Yeah. Is there anything wrong with it? Is that a bad work? No. Does a football game have any eternal value? Is God keeping score up in heaven? Maybe for the Cowboys, I don't know. (laughs) Will it stand the test? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Will this stand the test? Because it says each one's work will become obvious. What you choose to build with, it will become obvious. If you choose to build with hay, it will become obvious. Builders think that they're so slick when they try to cut corners and get away with stuff. How many builders do you think have actually ever gotten away? Okay, they get away like money-wise. But does somebody always find out what they did wrong? They're like, oh man, look at this guy. Look at this group. Look at what they did. They did it all wrong. It always gets revealed. And so what you choose to build with will be revealed. Each one's involvement in church, each one's involvement in his church, it will be laid bare as to what quality of material you used. And so Paul says that how it's going to be laid bare is by the fire that will reveal it. And fire has a common usage in scripture. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but fire has always been symbolic of a judgment. It's always been symbolic of a testing. This testing or this judgment, it has a day. And that's what it says. The day will reveal the quality of one's work. That day is coming and that day will happen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When those things happen in your life, 
That's the fire that tests. What are you building with? What are you building with? Is it going to bring praise, honor, and glory to Jesus Christ? Or will that fire destroy whatever it was and then you're left back where you started at and you're like, wait a minute. I don't feel like I've made any progress. Back to our story of the three little pigs. Remember, they all built their houses. One was straw, one was wood, uh, sticks, wood sticks, not two by fours. He didn't even nail them together. He just laid them there, okay? And then the third, brick and mortar. And so the day of testing was coming, and that was the day that the big bad wolf came. And you remember that he comes to the first house, and he says, little pig, little pig, come out. And he says, no, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Right? We all love that part. And and then it says, what does he do? Well, he huffs, and he puffs, and he blows the house down. And he moves on to the second house. At the second house, he says the same thing. Little pig, little pig, come out. And he says, no, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. And so he says, well, fine, I'll just blow it down. And so he huffs and he puffs and he blows that house down. No resistance whatsoever. I mean, inferior building materials. Now, at this point in the story, I don't know if you were raised Disney version or if you were raised the real version. Okay? Disney version has the two um, escaping and and going to the third house. The non-Disney version, the two pigs have already been eaten. Okay, it's a big bad wolf. (laughs) So now he goes to the big brother's mansion, made of brick and mortar, and the wolf says the same thing, and he gets the same response. And this time it says he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he passes out. He couldn't blow the house down. Now just to give you the end of the story, he tries to go down the chimney and ends up falling into the fire. That's, that's what happened to the big bad wolf. But the point is, is what is built and founded upon Christ will be put to the fire of this life and the fire for the life to come. Those are our testing fires. The troubles that we face in this life, the trials that we go through, the persecutions, the, the tribulations that Jesus promised to us. Not big T, little t. He promised that in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome it. Are we building upon that foundation as the church? Are we building upon the foundation that says, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but up in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves can come and destroy it? Matthew seven twenty four. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. See, where it says the winds blew, you could write in there, the big bad wolf. And yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. You know another name for Jesus? He's our rock. When you mix the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God and the working of building the church, it's like using layers of straw with layers of stone. And I'm not saying putting the stone at the bottom. It's like putting straw first, then the stones on top of it. That's what happens when you mix worldly wisdom with godly wisdom. Straw is great. Straw has its place in the barn, on the farm. Straw is useless to build with. The last question you need to be asking yourself when you're asking, how am I building? The last question you need to say is, What will your final 
inspection reveal. Because it's not Mike Holmes that's doing the inspection. Paul says if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The result of the final inspection is you either receive a reward or you experience loss. The day of fire tests the work. It'll test the work, and it's either going to survive or it's going to be burned. There's no, like, half, well, it's only kind of charred. It kind of stayed there. No, it's either there or it's gone. And here's a couple of things to note about the testing fire. Number one, it does not test the worker. It tests the workmanship. Number two, it's testing the quality of work, not the quantity. Just because you do 100,000 things with wood and hay doesn't matter. And if you do 100,000 things with stone, it doesn't matter. It's what are you building with? What's going to last? These two verses, 14 and 15, with the above verse mentioning the day, makes this judgment referring to be the day known as the Bema Seat of Christ. And that word Bema comes from the Greek used for judgment. And you find it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is not the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment judges the worker based on the work, and this judgment is strictly for the work. You see, in Revelation 20, 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. Revelation 20, 12 it says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works that were by what was written in the books. You see, the great white throne judgment is for the dead. The unbeliever. The believer, at that point, is alive and already resurrected in Christ. That judgment for the believer is to be rewarded or not rewarded. That's the judgment that we will face. 2 Corinthians 5.10, as I mentioned, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation, when it talks about Jesus coming back to earth, and it describes him, John describes him. He says his eyes are like a flame, burning flame of fire. When we see him, his gaze, oh my gosh, how it will warm our soul, and we'll just feel all warm and, and fuzzy, like just, that's our Savior. And at the same time, it will be consuming all of the worthless junk that was done in our lives. The stuff done in the flesh. The stuff done with wrong motivation. The stuff done for the praise of men. Whereas the precious stone, the gold, the silver, that, was, that which we've done for the glory of the Lord, for the, for the power, uh, in the power of the Lord, that stuff will remain. If anyone's work survives the testing of fire, you get a reward. What is the reward? I don't know. It doesn't say here. But perhaps this is when we receive our crowns that we lay at the feet of Jesus. 
The loss in the original language, when it says they will experience loss in the original language, the context does not indicate that you're going to lose something that you already had. It's not a forfeiture. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to lose anything that you possessed. But you're going to miss out on not gaining something. The believer is never in jeopardy of loss of salvation. The warning is of coming to see that in eternity one has really done nothing for the Lord. That's a harrowing thought. To come to the end and to realize all that Christ has done for you. And to meet him face to face. And then you go, wait a minute. I haven't done anything for you. There's some who will be saved. With a life wasted. No crown received. A lost possibility of participation with the saints in heaven as they lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Revelation 4.10 the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne. By the way, Revelation 4, I don't know if you know this, it's a separate. The last church mentioned is in Revelation 3, Revelation 4. All of a sudden, John is caught up to heaven, caught up. Being, We believe that that is an indication of the rapture. It's a foretelling of the rapture. And so uh, as he's caught up, this is what he sees in heaven. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne. They worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive honor, glory, and power. Because you've created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. What a glorious sight in heaven. I don't know about you, but I want to be on that committee throwing, throwing the crowns down. But the only way that's going to happen is if I evaluate how am I building. All believers, if you are here this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, all believers are members of the body and part of the church. And you are to be involved in building the church. Maybe you show up for church and you're like, man, I don't like the way church does this. I don't like the way people are like this. I don't like the way this is going. You could continue to complain about it, but that'll get burned up, I guarantee you. I can say that with 100% certainty. All complaints will get burned up. Or you can participate and be the change that you want to see. You can be that example of what the church should be. You can be the first start. Our work in the body, our work for the body, will be tested when that day arrives. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us that we are all members of the body. We are all members together. And it says we've all been gifted for the common good of the body, for the building up together of the body. We're all responsible for it. As we look for Christ's return, let us not waste time evaluating how other people are serving. None of that builds up anything. Don't evaluate other services rendered. Jesus is going to do that himself. Jesus will be the one who evaluates. Who are we, as Romans 14 tells us, who are we to judge another man's servant? He will be made to stand or not all on his own. And Christ is able to make him stand. You also want to make sure, again, build on the right foundation. The only foundation for the church, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. Don't go on building, don't go building on people. Okay? I want you to know this. As I said, Pastor Terry Gray is a wonderful pastor, but I guarantee you this. 
He's not what makes this church, in a sense. God is. Don't build your church on a person. One day, if the Lord tarries any longer, one day, Terry will breathe his last on earth as well. So will I, if the Lord tarries. You can't have a church built on either one of us. It has to be built on Christ. You can't build it on a personality. You can't build it on a ministry. You can't say, oh, this ministry, and this is what I'm going to live for for this ministry. Live your life for Christ. We have to ensure that we build with the right materials in context. We begin to understand that Paul was writing. He started the first two chapters talking about wisdom. And, and, and in the three chapters, the church of Corinth was involved in worldly things because they're trying to build on worldly wisdom. And Paul says you can't mix the two. They don't make good building materials. The only wisdom we should depend upon is the wisdom of God as laid out in his word. And I need to really push this point, okay? While our salvation as Christians is not in doubt, because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you are held in the hand of Christ, and you are held in the hand of the Father. Okay, so there's two people of the deity of the Lord holding you, and one that has sealed you. Who's going to get through that? Your salvation is not in doubt. Your reward may be. Let us not be like those who are escaping a burning house. You make it out. You're saved. But everything that you've accumulated and everything that you've built is going to burn down. There's an old poem, and it has many stanzas. I almost put the whole thing, but I'll I'll just give you three lines. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Christ is the sure foundation. All who trust in him, they will not slip and they will not fall. If you have not his foundation, not only will everything in your life be burned, but you yourself will be cast in the lake of fire. If you do not receive Christ's priceless foundation. You see, God sent his son to be born as a person. God became man, lived among men, but lived perfectly among men so that he could present himself as a sacrifice for the sins of men. And God, through his word, teaches that any who come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins shall be forgiven. Because when he died on the cross, when he was buried in the ground, and when he was raised the next day, that was God saying all has been paid for those who had come and believe in Jesus. And here's the promise from the scripture. That all who come to Christ shall by no means be cast away. That means you're not going to show up and say, Christ, I'm here and I need forgiveness. And he's going to say, I'm sorry. We're all full. Or I'm sorry. Not you. The promise from scripture is all who call on the name of Christ shall be saved. So I'm going to invite you right now. I believe the worship team is going to come back up. I I think they got another song, which we're all going to be blessed by. And I'm going to invite you, evaluate, how are you building 
Are you able to build on the foundation of Christ? Do you have that foundation? And if the Lord is speaking to your heart and saying you don't have that foundation, I want you to stand up and I want you to come forward. That's going to be a physical sign for you that you recognize that you need to get right with God. And I believe that there's going to be uh, those available to pray up front with you. If, if there's not, I will be available up front to pray with you. And, and I will lead you. And there's no magic words. There's no magical formula. It's not like if you say any, any magical thing, you're automatically saved. But the Lord has said, all who come to Christ shall be saved. And it's as simple as just coming and saying, Jesus, I need forgiveness for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Lay a foundation for me that I can build on. If you say that in your heart, you will be saved. And for those of you that maybe you realize today, maybe you realize this morning, wait, I've been wasting my whole life. Maybe I'm building with the wrong materials. I've been building the wrong things. I'm going to invite you to come forward as well and just confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to start building something that will last. Not for my name, but for your name's sake. Father God, I pray, Lord, may your word not go deaf in our ears, Father God, but may it have its perfect work in our heart and in our lives, Lord. May your word draw us to desire to build your church the right way, the way that your word lays out, on the right foundation, with the right materials. And Lord, I pray that as we come into glory, as Christ comes back, as Christ calls his church home, I pray that, Lord, we would all pass the inspection. And I don't know what the reward is, Lord, but I know that you promised that you are coming quickly and your reward is coming with you. And we look forward to that day, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.